Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio. We're on to show number 443. And today we're going to be exploring the connections between talent alignment and engagement. And um, for those of you who don't know who Engage for Success are, we are a not-for-profit movement. We're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. And we're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn more, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter and where you'll find an enormous and free to download and free to use and free to access range of resources uh, to help you um, deliver on our organization's mission, which is inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. Um, and in a change to um, some of the uh, scheduled uh, communication, um, you may, regular listeners will realize that I'm not in fact Andy Gorham. Um, I'm Joe Moffat. Um, I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage with Success Radio. And as well as being a volunteer with the movement, I'm also managing director and founder of Woodread. Uh, Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques, and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees, so very much aligned uh, with the mission of the Engage for Success movement. So um, do um, join me in welcoming today's special guest, who is Melissa Ortiz. Uh, Melissa is joining us to explore with me the topic of the connections between talent alignment and engagement. So a little bit about uh, Melissa, um, following the completion of her MBA at Texas. Um, she spent the, the last 15 years um, of her career focusing on improving employee retention, uh, matching the right people to the right seats inside client organizations, and measurably improving employee engagement. So you can see why we've invited her onto today's show. And her focus area is talent optimization. And her why, uh, so somebody's been reading there, Simon Sinek, her why is better work, better world. So welcome to the show, Melissa. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Very exciting. Good. How are you today? Great. Great. The sun is shining and my kids are out of school today, so it's a good good stay home, relaxing Monday. All is, all is good in your world. Lovely. Um, so I gave a very brief introduction to you, but can you, can you just, for our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the sort of the professional journey that you, you have been on um, to, to where you are today? Sure. Uh, probably the most interesting part of my journey is that I, I, a, I should have been a psych major undergrad. I didn't know I could do this work with a psych major. But I thought you had, with a psychology degree, you had to listen to people's problems, who people who probably didn't want to solve their problems all day. So I went a different route and ended up in this work anyway, because okay. certainly this work has evolved since I went to undergrad. But when I was graduating with my MBA, I really wanted to go to work for Gallup. And at that time, they had a policy that they didn't hire MBAs because they wanted too much money in their minds. And I, so they took me <laughs> out of the hiring pool simply because of my credentials. And you were I overqualified. 
was awful. And I said, I don't think you understand. This is the work I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, Gallup's the granddaddy, right, of talent-based hiring, of employee engagement. They developed some amazing client engagement metrics and the strengths finder. And I just knew that I needed to be there. And so I said, I don't think you understand. I need to be doing this work. And they said, okay, but, you know, you're going to make the lowest paying job out of your peers. And I said, well, if it's work I want to be doing, I guess that's okay. So they finally gave in and <laughs> gave me a job in their San Francisco office uh-huh. where I worked for a while and then transferred to uh, Houston. But it was such an amazing group of people doing incredibly compelling work. And um, so I think, you know, we all have to have a little grit when it comes to getting, getting what we want and placing ourselves, our own talent, aligning it to the things that matter to us. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting. I mean, people talk about um, the importance of purpose and the, in, in, in terms of seeking a job role and finding a, a, a role that aligns with your purpose. And people talk about that being something that, whilst it matters to all of us, is particularly important for the kind of millennial generation um so do you did you did you predate that or are you are you do you fit yourself in that category melissa i predate it just slightly maybe i was on the leading edge of it there certainly nobody was talking about purpose when i was looking for jobs but i think everybody feels it right and now the market certainly is such that there's freedom to to go do that because of the, the demand for talent but Mm-hmm. I, I don't think mm-hmm. when we when I think about the engage for success goal of helping workplaces and individuals thrive, I mean that's the core word, right? It's thrive. I don't want to just go through the motions of having a job. Yeah. I want to thrive. Yeah. And yeah. giving them the tools is so such a worthy effort. Yeah, it's interesting though that you, you the story you tell there about your initially trying to work with Gallup and, and finally kind of you know beating them down. It's interesting, isn't it, that an organisation such as Gallup, who is so so much talking about engagement and 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 as you say, you know, developing the strengths finders thing and the twelve questions and all of that, should actually think that actually the only thing that was going to matter to you was was what you were paid at the end of the month. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, really? It is. It's the old doctor heal thyself, right? Indeed, indeed. So, so, um, so we're going to be talking today about the connections between talent alignment and engagement, and we're going to explore the so-called great resignation as well. But can you can you just talk to me a little bit about what you mean by talent alignment? Can we kind of just define our terms a little bit? Sure. So when I think about engagement, one of the leading indicators I know, it actually is also a very strong indicator for customer engagement, is if I have the natural talent to thrive in my role, it's so much easier for not only for me to thrive and perform, but also for me to be engaged. Because when I'm not spending exorbitant amounts of energy trying to cover my imposter syndrome that I know I'm not the right person for this analytics role because I'm a people person, um, I can actually focus on my work. So I kind of have a joke that when we get you to the right role such that you know you can show up with shoes on and you're going to be just fine because you just are naturally what this role demands. That's yeah. when we get totally different levels of engagement, performance, and well-being. Yes, yes. Wasn't it Steve Jobs who said, and um, yeah, I feel like we're playing um, – you know, sort of um, conference bingo here because you always have to try and weave Steve Jobs into something but um, it wasn't it Steve Jobs who said that if you find a job you love you'll never have to work another day in your life was that one of his 
I don't know if it's attributed to him, but if, if there's anything more gratifying in the engagement space, it's that, right? It yeah. doesn't have to be hard. It's kind of like my brother's dating. And I'm like, Mitchell, if you find someone that you're meant to be with, it doesn't have to be hard. And it's kind of the same with a job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm going slightly off track, off tangent a little bit here because because there is another sort of the other side to that, the dark side to that is that if you if you love your job so much and you are so engaged in it and it actually doesn't feel like work, then the lines can get very blurred between work and personal and work and home. And, 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 and before you know it, you're on a bit of a kind of track towards burnout, aren't you? So there's a balance to be struck, isn't there, somewhere along the line? There is. You know, I've talked to people about the difference between work-life balance, which is an indication that they should be separate, and work-life integration. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I come from a fifth-generation farm family, and everything we do is centered around the farm. And so in some ways, that's the beautiful recipe for burnout. But when it's really ingrained with everything you're doing, it doesn't feel so hard. It doesn't, you know, you're taking your kids to the farm with you, and you're checking fields, and you're, it's completely integrated. And so when we can find ways to make work-life integration versus work-life balance, I see burnout happen significantly less. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. Okay. So actually, you've got to, you're going to have to tell our listeners about your farming because I'm 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 up on them because I saw a picture of you when we spoke as our uh, in, when we were having our research call before today. But do do tell our listeners what it is that your fifth generation family farm farms because I think it's wonderful. Sure. Probably the most compelling thing we do is we grow the seeds for seedless watermelons, which is kind of fun. That'll go all over the world and are then planted for fresh market. But we grow 15 different crops on 20 different ranches spread over a 30-mile radius in Northern California with about 50 employees. And my brother and I are the fifth generation on this farm. And so we grow orchard crops, prunes, walnuts, almonds, and pecans. And then we grow a lot of processing tomatoes for ketchup and pasta sauce and salsa and um, wheat and rice, and we grow sunflowers, which are, of course, the most beautiful crop in the world. <laughs> yes. And is that, is that so, for the oil, Melissa, sunflowers, or for the actual flowers, or the seeds? Uh, both for the confectionery seeds and for the oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And when you say fifth generation, that, when, did the, when did the original farmers start there then? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, Late 1800s. Really? Wow. No. Wow. Gosh, that's quite some, quite some, um, what's the word? Some kind of heritage to be. Legacy. It's definitely a legacy. Legacy. That's the word. Legacy. That's the word I was looking for. It's been a long day. Sorry to take us off track, but thank you for indulging me. I think it's so important. (laughs) It sounds wonderful. Our food is generally coming from family farmers. Yeah. Just corporate farms that that bring Mm. our food to us. And it's... Mm. Absolutely, absolutely lovely. Good, thank you for that. So let's get back to back to topic. So, um, although I think a lot of a lot of probably what you, you know you probably recognise a lot of what you're talking about in terms of your your own family business, I suspect. But how do great companies balance the the qualitative and quantitative elements of an employee engagement program or an approach to employee engagement? In your view, Melissa. I see it often as has so much to do with the person 
or group that are really leading the charge. But I would mm-hmm. say the perfect balance is somewhere between Ted Lasso, you know, cheerleading, amazing, real coach. And mm-hmm. if you've seen the, the movie Moneyball about the statistics behind it and doing the, putting the right people in the right roles. And I really think it, if we combine this power road, powerful roadmap of data with some great managers in the role um, at the team level, then we get some really amazing insights that we can do something with. Um, when we get recruiters who know exactly the, the type of person they want in a role and they can sell a candidate to say, look, I know what we're looking for in this role. It's someone who takes the initiative, who's great with making new connections with a variety of people who have a sense of urgency, but at the same time, they're extremely detail-oriented. And when I look mm-hmm. at your profile, you fit that to a T, and I need to tell you, I think you're going to thrive in this role. That's so much different than the typical recruiter world. Well, here's the comp and benefits, and here's the who's who, who you'll directly report to, and here's your salary. It's a different pitch. Mm-hmm. And it's one that resonates in a much deeper way with candidates. Right. So it's, it's much more than just saying you're a perfect fit for this role. It's, it's broader than that. There's a, there's a breadth and a depth to that fit. Yeah. And I think there's, there's data to show that. So, right, when we get a good talent assessment and we scope the role perfectly and we do that work to say, look, you're a values fit for our organization. We go through that evaluation, you're a talent fit for the role, when we get that person on, we're going to engage and retain them in an easier fashion than if we just plug and play someone. I mean, and in the U.S., they say, they call people, you know, if you can fog a mirror, you can probably do this job. I've got clients that have convenience stores and warehouses, and they're like, we're just trying to get bodies in seats. But, Mm. you know, you think about a warehouse person who loves to play Tetris. That's kind of what a, the whole purpose of a warehouse job is, right? You're moving parcels yes. and all around. And, you know, a convenience store, 80% of it is just engaging your clients as they walk in the door, smiling at them and helping them find what they need. And we don't have to overcomplicate this. So, Melissa, do you think, given the fact that there is such a, a shortage of talent at the moment and and um, people are finding it difficult to fill roles. Does having a very does seeking this perfect alignment make it even harder to find someone to fill a role in that in that you're closing down your options, or does it does it does does the fact that it and if and if it does make it harder, actually does that matter? Because you might say, well, it may, might be a bit harder, but actually when you get them, they'll stay longer and be more engaged. Or does being very specific and very clear about the kind of alignment, kind of qualities that you're looking for, um, make it easier to find the right person or to know when you found the right person? I think you described it beautifully, and I think it, you're right, it's both. Um, I have clients going about it a couple different ways. One is let's just get people in the door, and then once we do, we'll try to engage them to the point we can move them into a new role. And there's a lot of um, organic laddering of career paths going on that I see rather than the traditional vertical ladder. And so mm-hmm. what I see clients doing is trying to move team members they already have on the bus who they just they needed to get somebody to fill that role with the promise that 
know, I doubt you'll stay here very long, but if you fit our culture properly, what we'll do is be looking for opportunities to move you around and give you, get you into the right fit. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the shortcut approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, the right way to do it is we, if we get really sincere about our values, and I'm not talking about the poster that is on the wall in the conference room, but actually sincerely committing to our values, that's a sorting mechanism. And then when we get clear about what we need in this role, that acts like a magnet for someone who fits the culture and the role. And when they come, they'll pursue you, like I pursued Gallup and say, no, I don't think you understand. I need to work here. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. when we know we're winning. And that's when they refer their friends. And that's when they engage clients in a different way. But if you are the kind of organization who thinks that your values on the, are simply words on the poster on the wall, and that's kind of where they stay, and actually they don't get lived on a day-to-day basis, and they're just, they're just a, they have just been a bit of a tick box, or worse still, your culture is, is, is fairly toxic, um, you're going to define, you, you've got to acknowledge that and do something about that before you can then use those insights to find the right kind of people because goodness knows you're never going to find the right people, are you, if you're honest with them about what life's like there? I, I literally had this conversation with a client two weeks ago and I said, I think we are at a point where we need to acknowledge that we don't value in your organization, the role of the manager as a coach, as a person who's there to cheer on development and support others. We need to say, we're a place where you come and get great great experience early in your career, and we'll help you launch from there. It's kind of the enterprise rent-a-car model where we take new graduates, we give them management experience or other experience that they can leverage elsewhere. And I said, I think we're at a point where we need to be honest with that about, with, about mm-hmm. that with candidates. And the executive team was horrified. I was going to say, how did they take that? Not <laughs> well. Not take it well, Joe. <laughs> yeah. But at so some you, point, it, I was going to say, is that an ongoing conversation or was it a very short conversation? Uh, I think it's an ongoing conversation of them trying to convince me that they're not going that route, which will be interesting okay. to see later on. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do, do, do you see, is there a... Um, uh, a conflict inside organizations or it, between recruiters and managers who sometimes have a totally different view on what it is that they're seeking to, the, the qualities of the individual they're seeking to to find. Yes, yes. When you have, say, five managers or 500 managers managing the same role, they'll often tell you they want different things, even though the role itself demands a very similar uh, set of aptitudes maybe because our own inclination as leaders is to always hire in our own image if I have a sense of urgency by God I want to surround myself with people who have a sense of urgency because yep. without that you know what I can't work with this person and yeah. I think so much of that is just starting to understand the diversity of talent you know when we when I think about diversity in in our nomenclature today what I don't mm. hear enough of is diversity of talent. We're talking so much about diversity of our sexual orientation and our physical makeup, but we're not Mm -hmm. talking enough about diversity of talent. And that's where the real value, I think, comes into play, that people feel not just like they're some affirmative action reincarnated and they were put in a role because they're a token whatever minority. That's just good to people. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm, um, I want to move on now to talk about the Great Resignation. We touched on it in the op opening comments, um, and it's a phrase that's being banded about and widely used. Um, some people will say there's no such thing. It's simply a, it's simply um, something to to fuel an enormous number of articles on LinkedIn and thought pieces and blog posts sure. and so on. But <laughs> so, um, but it. But it is not. It is true, certainly in the UK, um, that we have got record numbers of vacancies in this country, um, and in the US, you have got record numbers of people voluntarily leaving their jobs, haven't you? I, I think I'm right in saying. Um, Absolutely. So there is something. It's just whether we kind of call it the Great Resignation with, you know, capital G and a capital R or what. Yeah. So what's your view on it? And 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 what what's causing these these things to be happening, whatever we call it, you know, there is a some people are leaving their jobs and there is a shortage um, of that we have got an awful lot of vacancies in this country. So what's what's going on, Melissa? Well, I think it, it has a lot to do with we took this time out professionally and and socially, and it comes back to this concept that we only live once. And I think so much of what's going on is as a society we haven't had that. And being able to say, you know what, I, I, for one, actually kind of, I know I probably shouldn't shout this from the rooftops, but I celebrate this movement because I think about it as a great realignment because we're basically saying, you know what, I'm wasting my life in this job. I can't do that anymore. My family needs to see me as someone who takes ownership of my own opportunities, and I need my kids to do the same. And so you're seeing people go for jobs that are much more meaningful to them rather than just punching the clock, putting together a report, and coming home at the end of the day just completely drained, right? If we think about this whole my why being better work, better world, when I think about employee engagement and how it fits into that and how talent alignment fits into it, it's not just that it's better for the company to get the right person in the right role who's going to deliver better results. It's that at the end of that day, that individual employee has more energy for their family, their community, their physical well-being, their faith, whatever is important in their world, they've done better work, they're proud of it, and there's all this exponential benefit that comes up about socially. And so a great realignment of talent into roles where they can make more impact and have better well-being, to me, is something to celebrate. And when we get through it, we will all then be better off. Mm. So I'm going to play devil's advocate now and say, I, I, <laughs> I don't disagree with anything that you've said there, but I'm going to ask you whether it could be argued that there is a privilege of the more highly educated, uh, professional, middle class, white collar work roles that those types of workers have the opportunity to do the kind of thing you've just been describing, but the vast majority of the working population don't have the privilege or the freedom to make those kind of decisions for themselves? So no doubt that that plays a role. Um, but certainly we see vacancies at every level. And mm. what I see as our role as human resource professionals is back to this talent alignment, back to casting a net that is appealing to the right kind of fish, right? If you're appealing, mm -hmm. when, when you've got 10 jobs you're going to apply for and they're all entry level, 
if I get into the right entry level role for me, the sky's the limit. If I get into the wrong one, I'm going to stagnate, be miserable, and barely get by. And so that's where I think the leg up comes from people who should know this business and should mm-hmm. be aligning that talent to role. I mean, the talent optimization world is all about aligning business strategy with people strategy. So when we mm-hmm. cast the right net and when we put the right magnets out into the workforce, um, we start helping the people who don't have many choices start to develop real opportunities. And to me, that's probably what's so motivating about this work is we have the ability to help people who desperately need encouragement in the right direction. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's interesting. I, I was been having a conversation with one of my one of my clients actually, um, who part of their organizational strategy is to work very, very closely with the local community. Uh, where they are located um, and they are as part of what they are doing and it's not this isn't their core offering at all but as part of what they are doing they are creating educational support for the local population they're creating employment support who live in the community where they're located into work um, to open them up to, to opportunities that might not otherwise have existed um, and there's a it, it's really quite humbling to see actually the extent to which they are they're saying this isn't this isn't our core deliverable this isn't we can't directly say this relates to the bottom line but we believe it to be important that by being located in this community we we not only provide classic employment opportunities but we actually create opportunities for people who might otherwise never have imagined that they could come and work for an organization like us so I'm talking about things like you know apprenticeships and 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 that kind of thing and and um later later life mature student support and really really interesting actually um I think more organizations could perhaps think in that way couldn't they they absolutely could they absolutely could, especially yeah, as, as organizations want to see people come back into an office because in a lot of ways it really is good for their psyche to have coworkers and there's that presence factor. You know, we think about biases. There's a presence bias in the promotional space. And if I don't yeah. see you on a regular basis, I'm less likely to think about you to promote you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that, lead, that moves on. That gives us a couple, few minutes left. Not very long. Um, the role, um, the response, who, you know, the responsibility that people who work in talent development have um, to not allow people to get left behind, to not, not allow there to be presenteeism bias. Um, what, how, do you, how do you raise awareness amongst talent development people as to the role they can play in addressing the great resignation, uh, making sure that there's a level playing field for everybody? So I spend a lot of time challenging um, job entry requirements. I spend a lot of time, do we really need a master's degree to do this role well? I mean, certainly if you're a surgeon and you have to have all the, the credentials that even are the ticket to entry. But I think mm-hmm. we've created some unnecessary expectations in terms of table stakes uh, that aren't necessary. So that's one thing I challenge talent management, talent selection groups to be thinking about is how many of these are nice to have and how many are need to have? Yes, 
Yes, yes. Can I uh, just make a point, actually? We had a, an Engage the Success event last week uh, where we interviewed the CEO of First Direct, who are one of the um, very well-known financial services organisation in the UK, and they were the first bank to offer 24-hour banking. They were the first bank to offer telephone banking, and they were the first bank to be uh, to offer internet banking. So they've been very much at the forefront of, of trying to offer banking that doesn't require there being a physical building that people have to go to. Yeah. Um, and their approach has always been that they, they, so they're basically employing call center people to, to, to service their customer base. And their approach has always been, we will employ communicators, people who can communicate first, and we will then train them on the banking skills. Hallelujah. Um, you know, and that sounds yes. to me like what you're talking about, Melissa. Yes, yes. Get the right people in the right roles, and the rest, we can really, then we have better raw material to work with. So I know we're, we're coming to a close on our time, but I so appreciate the chance to talk with you, Joe, and with your Engage for Success audience. This is a very worthwhile investment of time and energy, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. Lovely. Well, it's been a pleasure having you with us, Melissa, and you're right. We have run right out of time. Uh, we've got just half a minute left, which really just leaves me to say thank you to this week's special guest, Melissa Ortiz. Thank you for listening to Engage for Success Radio. And um, don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at engageforsuccess.org. And if you want to get involved in the movement, and we're always looking for people to join us as a volunteer, do get in touch at engageforsuccess.org as well. Um, and as I say, that's where you can download uh, all of our great resources. And so all that remains is for me to say thank you, Melissa, Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.